Okay, we're in, we're in the teachings of Jesus, and we are centering our minds uh, during the Lent, the season of Lent, so the 40 days leading up to Easter plus Sundays, we're, we're centering our minds on uh, the, the teaching of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. And you've, if you've been in church, you've probably heard of the Sermon on the Mount. You've probably heard it taught in many different ways. And um, the reality is there are some teachings in the Sermon on the Mount that are extremely difficult. And today is one of those. And I'm just going to say up front that when I get to the, the heart of what Jesus says in this passage, many of you are going to want to check out. You're just going to be like, and that's why I feel like sometimes the Bible is outdated. That's what you're going to think. So I'm, gonna, I'm letting you know what you're going to think, and I'm going to ask you, some of you are like, you can't tell me, what, you're not the boss of me. That's what my kids say. Anyway, um, and I'm like, I am the boss of you. What are you talking about? So anyway, I don't know where my mind is. I'm going to ask you and encourage you to fight the urge to check out and just stay with me a little bit. Because I think what Jesus is doing is he's driving to a deeper conversation than what it seems on the surface. So we're going to have the surface where, where you feel like, oh, that's where I don't know if I can go with Jesus for a little bit here. I'm just going to skip that one. We'll get to the next one. Um, but I think what Jesus is doing is he's pushing us to get beneath the surface, okay? So just stay with me for a little bit. We're going to get through it together. We'll walk together. Don't check out. Um, I'm going to begin and end with this quote, this thought, and I'm going to ask you if you believe this is true. You don't have to answer out loud. Um, the most important thing in your life is not what you do. It's who you become. Because who you become is what you will take with you into eternity. Now, I want you to think about that. And like I said, I want to start with it. I'm going to end with it. So I'm going to end today with it. And I'm going to just encourage you to wrestle with that. Is, is the most important thing in life what we do or is it who we are becoming and do you believe that who you are becoming will simply be solidified in eternity? And that is the question of the day. So we're going to start with uh, a couple of the statements that Jesus makes in the Beatitudes. And remember, in the Beatitudes, Jesus is going through this list of your blessed when, or God blesses those who. And what Jesus is doing is breaking down all the walls of the idea we have that when life is good, that means God has blessed us. What Jesus is saying is God blesses you even when things are really bad. Even for those of you who feel like you're all alone or you've been marginalized or set aside, even if those, those of you who don't have anything, you know, we believe that God blesses those who have a lot. Most of us are tempted to say, when I get a bonus or when I get that front row parking spot at Costco on Saturday. Hashtag, I'm blessed. God loves me. But what Jesus is saying, no, no, it's even when you don't have what you think you need, that's when you're blessed by God. And so we're beginning with these couple of statements, and, and, and Jesus says this, God blesses those who are poor in spirit and recognize that they need him, that they need God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Do, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you need God in your life? Do you know that? 
Do you know that left to your own devices, you will find yourself in a really dark, difficult place? Do you know that? And Jesus is saying, those who recognize that they desperately need God, and where we're going in the difficult teaching a little bit later, I think it's really important to start with this. Do, do I believe that left to my own devices, I'm in a dark world? Do I really know that I need God? That I'm, that I'm poor, that I'm humble, poor in spirit, I'm humble, and I, and I recognize that I need God. And then a little bit later, uh, Jesus, in the same teaching, he says, God blesses, blessed are those whose hearts are pure, who, who, who put their hearts in a good place. He says, blessed are they, for they will see God. There's something about putting my heart in a good place and, and purifying what's deep within me. And when I do that, I can, I can see God. Okay, so here's the part where you check out. So stay with me. <laughs> Jesus says, you have heard the commandment, you must not commit adultery. That's in the Big Ten, right? You've heard that one. You must not commit adultery. But I say... Anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I'm just saying, if, if you're a guy, most guys, not all guys, I guess, but most guys that I know read this or hear this and they're like, Matt, I'm not going to raise my hand, but that's where I just check out because I don't think that's possible, what Jesus is, is inferring here. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. And every, everybody just got uncomfortable a little bit, and I knew it. And I told you you were probably going to feel like you needed to check out at this point. And I'm just going to be transparent and honest and say, this seems crazy. I knew there would be no amens, but I was going to give you space for it. <laughs> it seems crazy. Jesus, you can't be serious. And, and I live in the reality of our world today, and I live having been at some level taught that what happens inside me doesn't necessarily affect what's outside of me. And I think Jesus is challenging that. And I think Jesus is saying, what is going on deep within you matters. And some of, I think, why Jesus chooses this, the intensity of this language and the seriousness is to catch our attention. You've heard the commandment, you must not commit adultery. They heard it again and again and again. But I'm going to say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. I think the other thing Jesus is doing is saying, hey, we're all on level playing field here. We're all in the same game. We all realize how difficult this is. I was reading um, years ago a book that I, that I underlined where the author suggested this about this passage. Jesus is not demanding we live his way in order to get his blessing or to get into heaven when we die. He's simply telling the truth about reality. Jesus is just helping us see what's really true. 
and he warns against lust, not because he is a prude. That's kind of funny to think about Jesus in that way. (laughs) But because he knows it destroys human lives. And we might say, how in the world does something within me destroy human lives outside of me? And here's the deal. And I'm just, like I said, I'm, I'm one of you. I, I realize the challenge that Jesus is presenting to us here and how extremely impossible it seems. That's part of the point. So stay with me. Don't check out. Don't check out. Are some of you checking out? Don't check out yet. Here's what happens when you allow lust to take root within your heart. When you, when you allow lust to begin, and, and this could be, you could use other examples. So lust is just an example that I think Jesus, you know, uses because it, it's a powerful image and idea and thought that, that we can relate to. When we allow that idea of, of, of lust to take root within our heart and we begin to believe that what we feel inside doesn't affect what's out here, we begin to simply objectify that which represents God's image out here. And I'll just, just to make sure we're all on the same page here. Men, what happens when we, when we begin to lust within our hearts is we objectify the very image of God which is found in women. And when we begin to objectify within us what's out here, eventually, maybe not now, maybe not in a year, maybe not even in 10 years, but eventually that will be made known by the way I treat women over time. Are you with me? A couple of you are. The others are starting to check out. Don't check out. Stay with me. What happens internally, and this is, he's using lust here, but it could be a a lot of different subjects. What happens internally will eventually come out. And it will change the way we not only view other people, it will change the way we treat other people. Now listen, um, many of you lived through it. I was on the edge of it, the sexual revolution of the 50s, 60s, 70s. What has been the result of that? Has it really led us to a more free place or has it become a very destructive path for us as humans? It's been destructive. When you really look at at what's happened, um, we have, in a sense, begun objectifying one another in ways that hurt relationship and hurt people. Some of the things we see on the news, some of the realities of what's happened behind closed doors, and we see it like in big profile names and cases, but the reality is it happens every single day in our lives. If we allow certain things to take root within us, I told you this one's a difficult one. So then Jesus goes a little bit further, and here's what he says. So if your eye, even your good one, causes you to lust, I don't even really know what that means, your good eye. Both my eyes are about the same, but he says even if your good eye causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. Better to lose one part of your body than the whole body be thrown into the hell, into hell. Wow. That's intense. And if your hand, even your good hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and just throw it away. Wow. That's intense, Jesus. 
what do you mean? Like, what are you saying? And I think what Jesus is doing is he's pointing to the reality that we think some of the things that are going on in our lives are simply common to human nature and a part of our visual senses and what Jesus is saying, no, 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 because that lust has nothing really to do with your eye. You cut your eye out, you'll still lust because lust is found deep within you. And I think what Jesus is doing here is he's pointing to the heart. He's pointing to the reality that what happens out here begins deep in here. Our outward lives are, are the overflow of the condition of our hearts and minds. What, what's going on out here in your life is simply a reflection of what could be found in here. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. He, he's, you know, the idea about gouging out your eye and cutting off your hand, I think he's, it's, it's a hyperbole. I think he's saying that's not the issue. That's not the problem. The problem is actually found within your heart. Our actions simply reflect what has already been present within us. And here's the deal. Men and women alike, we can mask what is deep within us for a short season. For some of us, we got really, we've gotten really good at it, and we can mask it for a long season. But eventually, what is done in secret will be made known in public. Eventually, it's going to come out. And I think Jesus is, is, is leading us on this path. Um, any good therapist... I think this was Richard Rohr. Yeah, Richard Rohr. Any good therapist will tell you we cannot heal what we don't acknowledge. And what we do not consciously acknowledge will remain in control of us from within, festering and destroying us and those around us. Now, Richard Rohr is talking here about alcoholism. And he's saying if you never admit it, like it will, it will control you from within, and that from within will destroy not only your life, but it's going to destroy the lives around you. Now, any of you have, that have ever struggled with alcoholism would say that is true. If you've ever been honest about alcoholism, you would say that is true. That if I don't admit it, then God can't redeem it, restore it, transform it in my lives. And it's true in so many different areas. And then... One more piece of Jesus. Are you, are you still with me? Stay with me. Are you still here? One more piece of Jesus um, that he says that I think should be eye-opening to us. So if you've checked out, come back. Come back. Because then Jesus says this, and you're going to be like, yeah. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I'm out again. <laughs> I'm committed not to lust and not to do what I should, and then I wake up in the morning, and then I'm in trouble again, right? Any amens in the room? Come on. And Jesus says I'm to be perfect just like God is perfect. That's where, you know, Jesus seems to be a great guy. I just don't know about his teaching. And I think part of this is the point that on our own, left to ourselves, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. 
And that is who Jesus was talking to. He was talking to those who believed they could act their way into heaven. Now, come on, I'm going to say that again because you got to hear that. Jesus was talking to people who believed they could act their way into heaven. And let's be honest, many of us believe we can act our way into heaven. And Jesus wanted us to realize that he was the way to heaven. He was the one where we could find wholeness and completeness. And even when we are weak and we are broken and when we are sinful, which includes every single one of us, I don't know what it is for you, but you have sin in your life, and so do I. And I think Jesus wanted us to realize, I cannot be perfect on my own, and I need, rec- I, I need to recognize my need for God. That goes back to the, the beatitude. And all of us in the room almost responded when I say, how many of you know that you need God? Almost all of us said, I do. That's where Jesus is driving us, to realize Left to our own devices, we're in trouble. And we need something bigger and stronger and more powerful than our will. And friends, that's the goodness and the grace of Jesus. Come on. That's the good news of the gospel. That when you don't live up to what the standard is, Jesus does for you. Come on, that's good news. You should smile at this point. That's good news. And Jesus, I think, in this teaching is driving us again and again and again back to him. Even in a lot of the writings of the New Testament, we find this. I think this is in Peter. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Peter's encouraging those who are reading his letter, the early church, to prepare their minds. So we have some work to do here. We need to prepare our minds. We need to exercise self-control. We need to put some boundary markers in, in our lives to protect us and to keep us in the, the right places. But then look what he says. Put all your hope in your own strength to remain holy. Isn't that what he says? Put all your hope in your strength and your ability to stay pure. No, he doesn't say that because it's not possible. Put all of your hope, put all of your weight, put all of your trust in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Come on, that's our hope. Our hope isn't in our strength and our ability. Yes, we need to prepare our minds for action and we need to practice self-control. Don't miss that part of it. That's really, really important. But you cannot do it on your own. Let me say that again. You cannot do it on your own. Let me say that again. You are not good enough. Aren't you glad you came to church? You're not strong enough. Yes, doggone it, people like you, but you are not good enough. You need someone else and so do I. And that person has a name, and his name is Jesus. Put your hope there. Put your trust there. Yes, prepare your mind for action. Exercise self-control. But lean all of your weight into Jesus. And trust that he can begin to transform what you can't change. And what you're hiding down deep in here eventually is going to make its way out. So trust that he can begin to transform this, which will then bring good out of your life rather than destruction. Um, I didn't snap this picture. I've been putting these beautiful pictures up on the screen just because they're pretty. But um, 
Here's, here's a little picture with, oh, come on. Come on. Isn't that gorgeous? Are you daydreaming yet? So I, the reason I, I wanted to look at this picture, um, other than the beauty of it, is the guardrail. You see the guardrail right there? Have any of you ever been driving? I'm just wondering. Have you ever been driving and then just slammed into a guardrail? Anybody ever done that? You're not going to admit it if you actually have. Guardrails, I think, are probably really good instruments, don't you? I've never needed one, but I think if I needed one, I'd be glad it was there, wouldn't you? Like, be so thankful for that guardrail if it was there. Guardrails are there, and they're there for a reason. They're there to protect us. They're also there, I think, visually to alert us or wake us up to a reality. Now, stay with me. Is it better to have guardrails? How about this? If you have children, would you rather have guardrails or would you rather your children be good drivers? That's a silly question. You'd rather your children be good drivers than guardrails. In the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things that Jesus is doing is he's pointing out the the reality that the law that we have in the Old Testament was there as guardrails to alert us to our need for something. Jesus comes not to extend the guardrails, but to, in essence, transform us into living a better life, to becoming better drivers, to become aware of the things that can wreck us in life. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Do you see the difference? Um, Last night I was watching a little bit of the Gonzaga game. Anybody watch the Gonzaga game? And it, near the end, I mean, it got close near the end, and I can't remember his name, but, but the guard for Gonzaga that transferred from Florida stepped up, he got fouled a couple times, stepped up to the free throw, and it's like he didn't even think about it. He steps up to the free throw, and he just knocks down, I think it was four free throws down the stretch. Do you guys see it? And it was like he didn't even think about it. He just put it up because it's natural to him because he's made so many shots in his life, and shooting that one is just like shooting at practice for him. And we would go, well, that's not true. That's a big game. For him, he's been transformed by the practice so that in a big game, he can make the shot. Jesus wants us to be transformed by the Spirit so that in the moment of temptation, we can make a good move. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Guardrails are good for what their purpose is. But it's better for us to be transformed into good drivers, to live our lives the way that Jesus leads us. Um, I'm going to close with this passage of Scripture in Colossians. And I want us just to, I want to encourage you just to pay attention to the the truth that is um, deep within this passage. In in Colossians, uh, Paul is writing the young church, people who are trying to wrestle with what does faith mean. And he, he just wants to make this really clear. You were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Now, notice the, the direction of that. He says your evil what? There's two things. Your evil 
thoughts and actions. Which one came first in his list? Thoughts, because everything begins here. Everything begins here, and then it comes out. You were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you. In other words, what reconcile means he has set you right with himself. So what once separated you, now he has brought you back into good relationship with him, friendship with him. Through your actions and following all the rules. That's not there. Some of you are looking through this passage. He's reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his presence and you are, come on, say these two words with me. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. This has nothing to do with your ability to follow all the rules has nothing to do with my ability to follow all the rules. It has everything to do with what Christ accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection. Make no mistake, Christianity is not based on my strength and it's not based on your abilities. Christianity and our faith is found solely in the work of Jesus Christ and it is done. And that, my friends, is good news. You are, because of what Christ accomplished, not because of your ability to follow the law, you are holy and blameless. You are hidden in Christ Jesus when it comes to God. And that is good news for every single one of us. Now, as a reflection of that, you know, what do we do with that? Well, we begin with thanksgiving. We thank God for that. But he continues, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, now, rather than setting your mind on darkness and death, set your mind on the realities of heaven, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the hope of God, the peace of God. Set your mind there. Fix yourself on these things. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And as a reflection, he's saying, now put to death the sinful earthly things lurking where? Within you. Lurking within you. See, so many of us work so hard to get all this right. And that uh, has become known as, as the gospel of sin management. If I can just do the right things and say the right things and act the right way, then all will be well. Nope. It's not true. The reality is you can never be good enough and neither can I left to our own devices, we're in trouble. Well, what do we say about such things as these? Well, thank God that he sent Jesus Christ to redeem and restore all the broken pieces of humanity, which includes you and it includes me. I keep pointing over here. Sorry about that. Includes you 
and me. So lean all your weight into the one who loves you more than you could ever imagine. Not based on your performance, your abilities, anything like that. Gosh, what seems like such a difficult teaching from Jesus actually leads us to his grace and his mercy. And what then I would say, Dallas Willard was right when he said, what matters most in life isn't what you do, it's who you become. Because who you become is being solidified into future that will outlive you. I'm so thankful for Christ and his goodness. Because left to my own devices, I'm in trouble. Uh, we're going to sing one last song. And uh, we're going to sing it. Uh, sometimes we sing like a slower song at the end, reflective. We're not going to do that today. We're going to sing a song called Graves into Gardens because here's the, here's the beauty of Christ. You put your life in Christ and he can take your graves and he can turn them into gardens. So we're going to sing about that joy. I'm going to have you stand with me. I'm going to say a prayer. After I pray, you can feel uh, whatever, whatever you sense is, is your response to God. There's candles in the, in the corners of the room, which represents the light of God, the presence of God. If you want to light a candle and ask God's presence to be in you, you can do that. You can take communion, which is a beautiful reminder of his sacrifice. Whatever you need to do to worship him, you're free to do. God, you are good. Teachings that are difficult are good for us because they point us to Jesus, and that's what we all need. So help us put our trust in him, our faith in him. Help us put to death the things that are lurking within us by the power of the Spirit in us. And God, I pray that you would turn our graves into gardens once again. In Jesus' name, amen.